Today is December 16th. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Oki, Naganago, Mekoche, Che Stokom Aki, or Dakotes Nagotine Siku. Hi, my name is Red Thunder Woman. My married English name is Michelle Robinson, and I use she and her pronouns. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Great Bear Lake people in Treaty 11. My name, Dakotes Nagotine Siku. My people wore rabbit skin, so it's been referred to the, as the land of the hair people. Um, I'm a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene nation is an, a visitor to this area of Klincho Tine Indahe in Satu Dene, meaning many big dog town, named after the Calgary Stampede. I was born in Calgary or in Blackfoot, Mokinstis, as Michelle Elliott, an English name which has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavo's uh, status card by the Canadian government, says Yolanda Dene. Through my father, I am a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having a Canadian Indian Act and Post status card, which is a colonial construct by Canadian policies meant to divide Indigenous peoples' inherent rights. Indigenous two-spirit or Indigenous women are at the bottom of the Canadian socioeconomic ladder because of colonial trauma, imposed poverty, racism, gendered violence, and land theft. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous. I just share my journey as I walk down the red road. Has the Dene woman who has attempted to run after joining harmful colonial parties spent money to be at expensive conventions, left my home to travel to those conventions just to vote on incomplete policies that still allow incarceration, a denial of justice, a denial of health services, racism, colonial trauma, and genocide of Indigenous and Black peoples? I have work to continue, reports to advocate for, and attempt to work within these systems meant to harm me and my community. Indigenous lives lost. All, all my listeners see your role in the importance of stopping harm and as a citizen, see your role in reconciliation as a treaty partner and as a voter holding your politicians to account. Pride Month should never be one month as it's important to understand the straight agenda and gendered violence was and is forced on this land by Christian Day for Space for Indigenous as well as honoring the host as a guest and acknowledging your role as a treaty partner in a so-called time of reconciliation. It's important that land acknowledgements have meaning I encourage everyone to introduce themselves with an acknowledgement of their ancestors' story of displacement and how you perceive your role as a treaty partner, a citizen of uh, Canada, a refugee, a uh, slave background, or other land displacement. So we as Indigenous people know how safe you are to be around. If you won't say or pronounce your local Indigenous nation's name, you won't say your pronouns, won't say your story of origin, won't acknowledge stolen lands, imposed economic oppression, or your role in reconciliation, I determine how safe you are to be around my community, my family, and myself. Understanding land acknowledgements and their importance is Indigenous 101 because it immediately addresses colonialism, oppression dynamics, broken trees. That's why settlers and those who call themselves native Calgarians or whatever town you're from show me that you have no Indigenous 101 understanding. Jesse Winty's book on Reconciled explains this perfectly as do many Indigenous authored books from climate change created by colonialism, but non-Indigenous would have to see their role as party uh, treaty partnership, uh, role of meaningful reconciliation and honoring global initiatives like the United Nations Declaration of Elders as the members have been so kind to me on my Red Road journey. Elder Red Crane taught me how to pronounce my spirit name in Blackfoot and Leonard Kenny taught me how to pronounce my name in Sine Elders as a and language keeper in the lands of the Nitsitapi, which is the Blackfoot border in September, uh, brought in from uh, beyond the Blackfoot and the Dene from Sutina. I acknowledge all First Nation made as the keepers of these lands. Halfport. Thank you to all you listen to afford to give. I'd love to hear from you. You can send in your comments or your questions. Also, giving a review helps whatever medium you're listening from. I have a YouTube channel that you can go and subscribe. You can go to nativecalgarian.com for it. And with that, I would like to bring in my guest and, and welcome Taylor. Taylor, would you like to introduce yourself in your way? Oki Tanse Tipskal Pisim Nitsigasun. Hi, my name is Grandmother Moody Six, and uh, my colonial name is Taylor Dume. Um, I am a visitor in Mokinstis. I've been here since 2018, um, and I was born and raised in Bonneville. Uh, it's about 16 minutes away from my reserve. We grew up off reserve, um, so really struggled with an identity piece and didn't really find any kind of identity piece until I was living in PEI and I heard drums and I was like, what is this insatiable feeling inside my body? <laughs> and it, uh, since then it's all been coming together and clicking that, you know, I have to reconnect with my culture in order to find out who I am in, in here, right? And that's what will restore that identity. And like, it continues to grow with me and, it's been a really beautiful experience and I 
I'm really grateful to be living the life that I'm living, right? I've been able to live two lives, right? I've been able to live non-Indigenous in my mind and uh, as a Nehia woman, right? Yep. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining us. I was really happy that you wanted to come talk today and and, uh, introduce yourself. You're doing such great work here in Calgary. And I think it's important that um, Calgarians know who our local, uh, you know, Indigenous leaders are. So I'm really grateful that you would come here to talk about some of the uh, things of, you know, what your story is, reclaiming who you are and the work you're doing. Yeah, no, it's it's really cool. I'm really grateful that you brought me on and that um, this is an opportunity for me to come and kind of talk about, you know, what actually happens to our people and give it another, um, show it in another light, right? Because not everybody sees the truth. Not everybody sees what actually goes on with our people. They just hear what they hear from the media. And often the media will lie to you about what we're actually going through. Yeah, it's a huge um, reason why I started the podcast, because uh non-indigenous won't like i literally this morning on cbc radio i heard uh jeremy nixon and nenshi talking about treaty partnerships and i thought how dare you not have an indigenous commentator how dare you but that's still where we're at as a society and i'm tired of the propaganda and misinformation too and that was part of the impetus of having this particular podcast yeah and that's um it's a big reason as to why I won't talk to the media anymore. Like over the last four years of being here, um, you know, I've gone to different marches and like in the beginning when they were like, Oh, would you like to talk and say some things? I was so jazzed, right? I was so pumped. I was like, Oh my God, you're picking me. Yeah, let's talk. And then I would talk and I would speak my truth. And then when I got home and I seen it on the news, every like big thing, was taken out right like they're not going to give me a platform to use my voice they're going to try and silence me because there's nothing worse than an educated native that's not afraid to speak her mind correct Uh, um i was lucky enough to have uh, harlan pruden teach me a bit about uh media relations and he taught me that you know you have to think what are the three sentences that you really want printed and never deviate from them because if you mm -hmm. say your three sentences and then say some off comment that's what they'll pick because they want us to be portrayed as idiots, um, not knowing what we're doing. And that's the narrative they would like to perpetuate in order for us to fail and for non-Indigenous to continue believing the propaganda they were taught in their schools. So it's why it's really hard for um, non-Indigenous to understand like if you don't, if you're listening to only non-Indigenous media, you have no concept of what we're going through. And uh, there's so many great uh, media that are Indigenous-based with with great leaders. So um, it is disappointing. I know a lot of folks won't listen to this one over, you know, uh, doctor this person or that person. And that silences and creates classism. And, you know, as you know, we have a huge problem with pretend Indians in um, academia. So like there's so many problems with the way Canadians even treat media. So, you know, I, I have a lot of empathy for what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I, I actually am learning that like this, this battle that we're constantly fighting, right? It's like, it's, it can be discouraging, right? It, it's exhausting sometimes, but, you know, I just have to hold on to that belief that creator gave me this voice for a reason. So I just have to keep using it. And eventually people will start to listen, right? Um, over the past couple of years, like I've, I've been noticing that people are like coming to me, right? And I'm like, what is this? But it's because creator gave me this voice and that I'm not afraid to use it my voice might tremble and it might shake and it might crack and I might cry but at the end of the day I still said what it needed to be said yep and if people don't like me for that then those aren't my people you know those aren't the people that are going to help us pave the road for a better future right you're so stuck in the past with thinking that you know what's best for everybody when for the last 150 years we've been living in the system it doesn't work it's broken and people just are just you know, they're assimilating in their own way to be cogs in that machine that just benefits rich white people. 
(laughs) It's true though. It is true. So I, uh, I feel you there. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it feels like it's a losing battle, but at, uh, in the same breath, right. We, we also do accomplish things, right. Um, so what's happening in Winnipeg right now, you know, they, they wrote letters and we tried to do it their way. And we tried to, uh, advocate for ourselves in, you know, writing and using our voice, but we still go unheard. So now they're actually protesting at the Brady landfill. And that's what, you know, activism looks to, looks like to me, right? Because if we continue to use their own systems to try and even create some sort of relief for ourselves, they just go unheard, right? There's, it's another pile of paperwork, right? That nobody will ever look at. So when other people are standing up and making noise and protesting and locking down places, like it's, it, it, some people are like, oh my God, that's such an inconvenient thing to do. Why would you shut down the core? And I'm like, so you'll listen because you won't listen any other way right you won't listen so let's give that context let's let's do that because i can tell you our uh previous generation worked really hard at creating the royal commission on aboriginal peoples they had over 400 recommendations that uh you know um for 20 years were not implemented and um you know 10 years ago i started working within the liberal party to advocate for missing and murdered indigenous women girls and two-spirit we had an inquiry that I would argue a lot of folks did not feel heard, myself included. Um, I did give a testimony, but it, it was so um, quick and not really um, to the benefit that it, it just, it, it was really upsetting to me the way they even approached it. And then they said they would give me money for counseling that they never did. Um, and then here we are supposed to be implementing these 231 calls to justice and that has not happened i have engaged with every level of government and my own counselor has me blocked and so like let's give context we did try their way and where have we got so yeah it might be an inconvenience when we shut down a road but you know we've had to put in hours and hours and hours of free labor over the course of how many years since what 150 years and non-indigenous never recognize that they never take the moment to realize how many hoops we have gone through to try to accommodate them in their ways in their systems i ran twice in order to show people non-indigenous people will not vote for an indigenous woman you know and people wanted you know pretend like we are ignorant of the political system when one, every single action that we are born into is a product of uh, colonial politics imposed on us. We have to learn not just our system, but their colonial Indian Act, plus our traditional governance, plus every order of their government. And we have to know what's going on and they can just drink Timmy's and go to hockey games and everything's fine. And then they're inconvenienced when we shut down something. It, and and at, at a certain point, when do Canadians take responsibility? Right. And I think um, I think in terms of like allies and accomplices, we are taking steps forward, right? We are starting to ruffle some feathers and people are starting to listen. But you know, it's gonna t- it's gonna take a collective force, right? And um you know, I kind of advocate for having uh, white allies and white accomplices, right? Like, so an ally is somebody who is, yes, you're doing great. I support you. An accomplice is someone who will put their own career on the line to make sure that atrocities stop towards any kind of marginalized people, right? Those are the people that I want on my back for this, right? So Um, Calgarians, if you are not a part of the Reconciliation Action Group, that is the group doing that work. Um, I've seen other so-called reconciliation committees be nothing but harmful to folks like me and all the Indigenous people they interact with. Those are not the accomplices I need. So even for Indigenous, we would love to have you part of the Reconciliation Action Group. Right. And I think, um, you know, just 
promoting a sense of unity or promoting, um, you know, this is, the, this is why the media won't let me talk is because I try to encourage other indigenous people to see their resilience and to see that despite an attempted genocide, actually an actual genocide, ongoing. we're still here, right? Yep. It's an ongoing genocide. It's an ongoing, you know, we have so many women that are going missing and, you know, being murdered and nobody cares, but they'll shut down an entire country for a missing little white girl. And it just makes no sense to me. Right. And they wonder why we're so angry. But if they look back at the history, you'll see all of these dominoes that have come into effect. And that's why we're outraged now, because we're sitting here. It's 2022 going to be 2023, actually. Yeah. And we're still not benefiting from the system. The only people that are benefiting from the system is the ones that are in that top 1%. And not everybody's in that top 1%, right? You're, if you make $100,000, you're just middle class. I grew up thinking that we were, we were middle class, but my mom informed me that no, Taylor, we were poor. And I'm like, okay. And I look at society now and I see all of these people, um, you know, multiple vehicles that are like $100,000 vehicles. And I see these big empty houses when our people are homeless and this is our land, right? Like, I don't think people understand just how much they've benefited off the backs and bodies of Indigenous people. I don't think that they have any kind of common sense in terms of what humanity really means, right? People go and preach that, oh, Canada is this great country and I'm so proud to be born in Canada and I'm proud that I get to live here now. And I'm, it, it breaks my heart all the time because that is not the same world that indigenous people live in. That's not, you know, I, I, I struggle. I struggle with mental health. I struggle with emotional unwell-being, right? Because I don't know how to process my emotions because that's an effect, a, a direct effect of residential school and intergenerational trauma, right? I never learned how to honor my feelings. I just learned how to stuff them down. And now being an adult and seeing all of these outrageous things happening to my people, my, my, my emotions come out in anger because that's all I know how to express because that's all they were taught in residential school. They don't understand what it takes to be an indigenous person in this white world. You know, they don't get it and people are so quick to turn a blind eye to indigenous people. And I don't even know where that comes from. You know, they learned it from somewhere and I don't know where, but I'd like to get to that root and maybe punch that person in the throat. You know, you can't go around telling people that we're lazy, that we're drunks, that we're uneducated, right? Cause we're not. <laughs> the majority of the people that I know in my circle and that I've met along my travels that are indigenous don't drink, right? It's the ones that, you know, unfortunately have undergone extreme complex trauma at the result, at the hands of colonialism. You know, these people were not given resources to help themselves and help their communities, right? We're just kind of left in a pile. Like, thanks for the land, here's your little chunk of reserve land, but if we need to run a pipeline, we're coming for you. But this is your land, you get to stay here, be grateful right? It's just, it's laughable at how much they think Indigenous people are just milking it, right? And like, I've heard it multiple times, right? Like, get over it. And I'm like, how am I supposed to get over it when this happened to my grandmother, when this happened to my mom, right? The last residential school closed in 1997. <laughs> they didn't close them. They just renamed them. They still exist. Big shocker. Um, but, you know, I was six years old. I would have been in those residential schools. Like the, the timeline that they think of how long ago it was, it really wasn't that long ago, right? My mom and, you know, I've met other people who have still very vivid ingrained memories of what happened to them in these schools and people don't listen, right? Or they, they're like, well, it wasn't that bad, right? But it, it, you know, schools shouldn't have graveyards. 
Oh. Right. And it's those weren't even schools. They were concentration camps. It was free labor for the church. Yep. And, you know, I don't, uh, it took me a long time to not blame God for everything that happened. Right. And it wasn't until maybe two years ago that I realized that, you know, those weren't the actions of God. Those were the actions of very sick men who represented things like the Catholic church and the Canadian government and the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, right? Those were sick people. And I know that, I know that my ancestors would want me to find some sense of forgiveness because we are supposed to come from these seven sacred teachings, right? What I do is supposed to come from love and kindness. And it's really hard to not combat colonial violence with more violence. You know, I, um, I really struggle with that. And it does come out projected as anger and me yelling and shaking my fists at white people, right? Just begging to be listened to for five minutes, right? And you give me that five minutes, I'll change your mind on what actually happened because we have lived experience. We have continued intergenerational trauma. We have learned ways of living that were imposed on us, right? We don't, um, you know. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I just, uh, I want to give you that opportunity to speak because you have done lots of interviews and not been given um, proper talking points. And I think that's the um, issue out there in mainstream media right and why we need podcasts in order to say our truth without it being edited into what is the most irrelevant part of what you said that's the talking point that you get to see out on the news so um you know it, it's really important if you ever have a mic in front of you or uh, or whichever like you just can't say the offhand comments you can't you have to because right. it, that's what they'll try to fish out of you right right um so last year um in march last march uh a friend and i started our grass well it's it's a grassroots movement we're called red road radicals and we started it with a reconciliation and resilience rally um where you know, the main focal points, our main talking points were promoting resiliency in Indigenous people, promoting unity, you know, reminding people that we are one, one person, right? We are one being, right? We have to work together to keep going. And we like, we can't let individualism get to us, right? Because like individualism is not an Indigenous concept. It's just not. We took care of everybody. Nobody was left behind. There was no kind of hierarchy right? It was by the people for the people, right? And that's kind of what we envisioned with Red Road Radicals, right? We want to restore a, you know, a culture back in the people because that's the thing that's going to save us, right? That's the thing that's going to save society and this world. If you don't listen and you don't give the land back and the root and, you know, society continues to, you know, overconsume, overproduce, and, you know, we're going to run out of space and the earth doesn't need us to live, right? Mother Earth will continue on without us. But if you listen to us, we can teach you how to live off the land and with the land and give reciprocity to the world around you, right? The majority of people that I've talked to about individualism, right? And I've tried with uh, conservatives. I've really tried. Um, it's funny to go through those conversations with them and, I will be making absolute like spot on points and it just goes right over your head. Right. It's like, well, what about me? And I'm like, you're not listening. Like, it doesn't matter about you. If you don't have a world to live in, you, there's no need for you. You're not going to benefit at all. Right. Like what's a little bit of sacrifice right now. Yeah. And I, um, was listening to Nenshi and Jeremy Nixon and uh, right away Jeremy said well I contacted the chief from Sutina and I thought you know how many myself included tried to talk to you told you and you disregarded me because I have a vagina and not a penis 
And that that is the sexism of the Indian Act, is that, well, we'll make all the men chief. And then that way, um, you know, we'll have the patriarchy imposed through our colonial Indian Act. And to this day, it works Mm -hmm. because someone like him um, and I had a so-called liberal uh, say to me, well, we need the Indian chiefs to tell us. And I said, so my voice doesn't matter to you. And he outright said yes. Right. And um, yeah, no, I've had this conversation for years. And that's why when I open up my podcast and I talk about joining these harmful colonial parties, I can't tell you a single meeting I've ever been to that's been a safe space, not one. Even my last um, uh, commission meeting, I had to like tell these white women, I don't care how much you love the, the, you know, ocean. This is a political party for indigenous people and you're taking all the space. And, th- and that is just part of colonial par- politics, like not allowing Indigenous people to speak and certainly not listening to the women. And of course, that's why the patriarchy was imposed, because it was the women that were in charge of North America prior to colonialism. Mm-hmm. And men don't like that, and they won't listen to uh, us as women, right? So it- it's incredibly frustrating when um, I take the mic or I see you or I see other, other uh, female Indigenous leaders take the mic. And I absolutely know it's disregarded by mainstream politics and mainstream media solely based off of our vaginas and their mm-hmm. patriarchy that's imposed in their head. Mm-hmm. And I think um, it is, uh, <laughs> it's frustrating to say the least. Um, I don't particularly like having things mansplained to me. Um, at when we were at the walk for Orange Shirt Day on September 30th, we were we were at Princess Island Park, and I happened to be talking to this white gentleman who is a politician. I didn't know he was a politician. We were just talking, and he was trying to tell me about all of the great work that society is doing to help indigenous people. He's like, look at all of these people, look at all of these diverse people that came here today, right? Trying to make it seem like they were doing something so great because they showed up at an orange shirt day. When, you know, you've been given that day off from work already, what are you doing on the days where you're supposed to be getting paid, right? What are you actually doing? Um, But we had a conversation and he was completely blown away by the way that I talked to him. Right, because he's like, you're uh, you're kind of intimidating. And I was like, thank you. That that's I take that as a compliment, you know. And I shake when I make a man shake in his boots, I'm like, aha, <laughs> in your face, patriarchy. But we were talking, and you know, he was like, You should uh you should get into politics. And for a split second, I was like, Maybe you're right. You know, maybe I can um make I will change. tell you this before you start going down that road, and I've said this to every, every Indigenous person, they exploit your knowledge, Mm -hmm. they misuse you, they will not support you. So the big things that we're taught in these colonial parties is, of course, to vote, but to volunteer, donate, and give endorsements. And how many of those do you think I got when I ran after I had helped all these folks? Right. So when somebody has the audacity to say to you, you should get into politics, ask him how much money he'd be willing to donate, fundraise, and endorse. Because they're full of shit. And that's why I have this podcast is to tell you and all the new activists, they only want to use you as the mm-hmm. token Indian in the, in the photo shots. They don't really want to listen to you. And in fact, they won't. They'll say, oh, the Indian male chief, uh, chiefs, they're the, they're the ones we listen to. Right. And I, I wholeheartedly believe all of that, right? Because when I look at uh, politics and Indigenous representation in politics, the first thing that comes to mind is like Wab Kano, right? And that's, it's a male, right? So automatically he's got one foot above us and he's got less of a fight because even though he's indigenous, he's still a male and they will still take his opinion over a woman's opinion. You know, this is something that I'm also experiencing in workplaces, right? Um, So 
the last couple of years have been, uh, I, I, I try to find careers that have an indigenous aspect in it, right? Because that's where I know that I fit. That's where I know that I thrive. And that's where I know that my spirit is being nurtured. Um, in the same breath, I've also worked for institutions that, you know, don't respect the opinions of indigenous women and will consist and constantly overstep me, right? Um, you know, they, they want the token Indian, right? They want the Indian standing there at the front door dressed in a ribbon skirt, welcoming funders and being like, look at all of these amazing things we're doing for the indigenous people, but behind closed doors won't practice or accept real reconciliation. You know, they will, they want the shiny stickers, the participation stickers, right? The ribbons that come with saying you have an advisory circle, yep. right? And they don't actually take into consideration the opinions of those people. No, um, I uh, was recently, my eyes were recently opened to just how systemic racism works and is very alive and well in institutions, even institutions that, you know, claim that they, this is my favorite thing, right, is when I walk into an institution and I see a land acknowledgement, right, so I'm like, oh, okay, so you know you know you're on our land, but you're choosing to not do anything about it. I, I can't with the land acknowledgements. I don't think that they do enough. You know, this is just words on a piece of paper. Like it's so colonized. There's no real relationship with the land that you're on, right? You can't even pronounce the people whose lands you're on. And you don't take the time to go and do that. You just, you sit up on your high horse and your pedestal and everything. And you look down at everybody and you're like, yep, I like it here. It's nice. It's cozy. It's, cozy, it's soft. It's cushiony. I'm sitting in my own diaper, right? Yeah. I like it. And they won't move past that because they've grown so accustomed to having a silver spoon in their mouth that they won't actually look at people that have less or they'll blame them like it's your fault you have less you didn't work hard enough your parents didn't work hard enough your parents didn't save enough money right and it's like we were not given the same opportunities that you were right a lot of people my age you know um I've met white people and their parents are like super loaded and everything and you know edu like educated well off um you know my mom didn't have that same opportunity my mom was in day school my mom didn't get a proper education. My grandmother was in residential school. She didn't get a proper education, but white people, they were in these top educational institutions that taught them everything they need to know about money and how to manage it and how to fucking, sorry, and how to, um, you know, make it benefit for them in, in their world. Whereas we were handed grade 10 educations and then kicked out to go and survive. After right, multiple traumas of sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional support or emotional abuse, spiritual abuse, like this, it's not even kind of the same playing field that we're on. And not to mention the fact that um, when it comes to these uh, educational institutions, like it, it hurts the heart of all of us to have to go to them and hear about how our people are, are inferior if they acknowledge them at all um you know like that constant in the past um conversation as opposed to right now and present conversation and um you know i always try to remind my daughter that too when she has to deal with social studies and uh those types of things that it's not okay the way our people have been treated uh the way that they're talked about in these educational facilities and then of course you go to post-secondary institutions and have to pay tens of thousands of dollars to profs who you have to educate on indigenous issues and that is so disgusting i can't believe any canadian can be proud of the constant trauma and the constant racial battle fatigue that we and distress that we are under while they get to proudly wave their Canadian flags. It's disgusting. It is. There's a there's a truck down the road from my house in Abbeydale. Um, it's it's got 
a Canada flag, an Alberta flag, a Confederate flag, and some other flag that I don't really recognize. But, you know, it, it used to be parked on the street and now it's like moved into the back alley. So I'm like, maybe there's a little bit of shame there finally, right? But, you know, it, it's, it is racial fatigue. I'm, I'm in constant battle with a system that's not benefiting me or my people. No. right we our people are consistently falling through the cracks there's so many gaps and you know when we look at the trc we we see these calls to action and it's not like they're big asks either right take accountability <laughs> number one uh help us you know you guys you know i I'm, I'm pretty sure that since the legalization of marijuana they have definitely increase their revenue and they're just not telling us by how much but anyways use that money to help the people you know what I mean like they say that there's this trust fund right and that there's trillions of dollars in this trust fund but I think that the Canadian government has spent it I think that you know they they used it to build this world that's around us and they have no way to foot that bill. So they will continue to silence us and continue to give us the bare minimum and, you know, just continue to leave us out in, out hanging to dry, right? They won't actually help us because uh, God forbid we become educated enough to take the land back ourselves. Um, you know, these systems that were put in place are it's not just indigenous people that is not benefiting right it's it's not benefiting low-income white households but they're not going to cause an uproar or rage because they're just so accustomed to that life that's life right nobody that's that it is what it is you know what i mean but doesn't that shouldn't that make you angry like don't you want a better quality of life for yourself like if i could i would be living off the land right now i would be out in the bush, hunting, fishing, trapping, whatever, living off the land. I'd have a garden. I'd have a shed to store all my preservatives. But in order for me to attain that, I need money to get that, right? And that's like this colonial construct, like money is non-existent. Like we use it to buy things that we need to survive. And like that in itself is a barrier. Because like with the rise of inflation, like our people are really struggling and we're wondering why so many of our communities are seeing health concerns. And it's like, because unfortunately we can't afford fruits and vegetables and healthy alternatives, right? We have to go to the carbs. We have to go to the sugars in order to keep ourselves sustained. And, you know, that's like a really big contributor to diabetes and, you know, diabetes runs rampant in our communities. And that's because we have so much processed foods in us that it's like we can't we can't afford to live any other way well that, we that's part of it so yeah. we have 150 years of imposed systemic poverty so we've never received dollar to dollar funding one two we have barriers that don't allow us to do what most canadians can be afforded so that's why i get mad at the idea of these trucker convoys fighting for freedoms when they've never stood for hours ever um, and bigger picture, because of the um, imposed starvation policies and poor health that they had in the Indian residential schools, um, diabetes is actually an intergenerational accumulation of poor health policies that we've, uh, like, we're at our maximum. That's why you see so many autoimmune disorders within our community, because of the um, accumulative effects of intergenerational mm -hmm. poverty and intergenerational health practices. And then you and I go and try to access health care, and we're met with racism and sexism. And in fact, I literally have a story for what happened yesterday morning when I went to uh, get some blood work done. So like that is constant. Uh, we will never get equal treatment in these healthcare facilities if we're lucky to access them at all because they're not accessible uh, to reserves and in most uh, northern places because Canada's decided that. You know, like th that's the irony, like every barrier is set up for us to um, 
eat unhealthy one and two like we can't live traditionally so like the oil sands right now is actually killing the uh caribou population of north america between that the mines and the like the uranium mines gold mines um and oil sands like it's completely destroyed the uh earth and the migration pro um paths that all of these animals would take so even my own area is incredibly impacted by all of this. The Satu dog was murdered by the Canadian politics. You know, it like it, it it's just constant. There's there's not a single barrier that's not there in place on purpose so that you and I die because the whole point of genocide is for us to not identify as Indigenous people and to not practice who we are and certainly as we have inherent rights to the land, never obtain them, right? And that's why they do this so that you and I are set up to fail. So like, it, I just, I have to intervene a little bit because um, there is a bigger picture of why it is we have autoimmune disorders and it's bigger than just, you know, we're forced to live on reserves. It's, we're imposed at so mm -hmm. many levels, at so many barriers. And, um, you know, it, it's completely unfair. And yet Canada's like, oh, I just want to go watch the hockey game and drink my Timmy's, you know right yeah no 100 percent. i totally agree right and that was um these are all things that just continue to happen to our people and it's like i sense that recently and i think that you know social media has played a really big part in this but our people are rising up our people are getting louder you know i'm starting to see more and more younger activists that are like you know you you can't do this right and you know young people their their voices I love listening to young people because it just brings me hope for the future right like I'm making these little baby steps now so that somebody later has a more beaten in path to follow right they will be able to utilize their voice a lot more than I have and hopefully really make change right like what we're doing now is not for us it's for the next seven generations and I don't think people understand that right especially white people they don't get it and like one of the conservatives that I had a freaking conversation with I was like you know if I'm doing something today that's going to negatively impact the next seven generations I shouldn't be doing it and he's like oh my god and I'm like right and he's like my daughter and I'm like your daughter Right. I'm like, your daughter will not have a safe place to live in. I can't even guarantee that your daughter will have water at the rate that we're going and extracting from the land. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. Is there anything else that you'd like to add before uh, I, I wrap up here? Um, How can people get a hold of you? You've talked about the Red Road Radicals. What are things that are ways to get in touch with you for um, upcoming folks who want to connect? And, and again, I, as Reconciliation Action Group co-founder, I absolutely extend our invitation to you and anyone from the Red Road Radical to be a part of our group because uh, just Recently, we got we had a new Indigenous voice kind of in the in the media, and the more Indigenous voices that we can get out there, the better. But also, I understand it's it's um, we want to be uh, supporting your work, not you know uh, leading it. No, for sure. Um, so we are on Facebook and Instagram as Red Road Radicals. Uh, on Facebook, it's there's going to be a YYC at the end of the actual access or the website URL. Um, but we are on Instagram, we're on uh, Facebook. We have quite a big following on Facebook and a lot of the community that we have, you know, um, we encourage more people to get involved, right? And when people think like radical, they automatically go into that associative thinking that we're vigilantes and that we're extremists. But really like, I just wanna radicalize our people, right? I want you to step out of colonization because that is the radical thing to do right step out of the assimilation come back to the culture that's what's radical yeah right so i don't want people to be confused <laughs> oh that's great well thank you taylor i appreciate that
And uh, we'll, we'll include that in the link when it goes out. So thank you so much. Uh, for folks who want to learn more about Indigenous people, we have uh, the Settlers Book Club, which is part of the Reconciliation Action Group. And we also have the Indigenous Book Club that I've been running since 2016. Our next subject will be chapters 9 and 10 of the National Inquiry into MMIWG2. And um, because it's a new year, I, you know, just to ask you if you want the Zoom link, don't hesitate to reach out. I've posted that on social media as well. So don't hesitate to reach out uh, if you're interested in being part of our book clubs. I'm proud that this podcast gives solutions and cultural safety training, cultural first aid, and all of them to create a safer space for Indigenous people of color, those with disabilities, and LGBTQ2 plus to speak. Thank you to authors Cheryl Ward, Chelsea Branch, and Alicia Fritkin of heretohelp.bc.ca. They put together what is Indigenous cultural safety and why I should care about it. Their work and those cultural action tools are available. So please support Indigenous work like that on your road to reconciliation and settler understandings. I'm just lucky enough to highlight and repeat them here. Uh, internalized racism and lateral violence is another form of violence Indigenous and marginalized uh, people experience by the structure of racism imposed on these lands. Donna Bevins has a wonderful website called racialequitytools.org and has a PDF on what is internalized racism. And if you identify as a demographic, uh, please start doing that work. Rather than attacking each other, attack white supremacy. Uh, do's and don'ts for bystander intervention by American Friends Service Committee. So when you are on the C train and you see a person being harassed, you've never stood up for me. And this particular resource will help you with this. So you can go to AFSC.org and do's and don'ts for bystander intervention. Uh, Indigenous people have been talking about our issues, sharing our traumas and reports, commissions and public hearings, just so it can be regularly disregarded. No more. Honor our words. Honor the treaties. Listen to politicians and their policies and platforms. If they don't recognize the marginalized in their budget with Gender Equity Plus, uh, if they're cutting violence prevention programs, Indigenous education, uterus health choices, Gay-Straight Alliance, um, culturally relevant uh, groups like mine of mending broken hearts, uh, lack of human rights for migrants, immigrants, folks with disabilities, know that your vote to that party directly negatively impacts marginalized people, demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action, the recommendation of the World Commission on Aboriginal Peoples, the multiple reports about child welfare reform that come out yearly, violence prevention reports, and now 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, Girls, and Two-Spirit. Provincially in Alberta, the Kenny government created uh, 113 pathways to justice, so all you blue vo voters should be holding your blue MLAs to account on it. Uh, follow the new Premier's Council on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls. Uh, provincially, we have the White Goose Flying Report. Denying these reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our people are experiencing extreme racism in the educational justice, health, and sports institutions with multiple reports that say the same thing. Demand change from election platforms and politicians if they don't understand colonialism, racism, privilege, and sexism, they literally have zero business running. It should be understood by all parties, local politicians, community organizations, sports clubs, nonprofits, etc. You can actually Google articles on how non-Indigenous Canadians can become allies. If you're experiencing emotional distress after anything we talked about today and want to talk, you can call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline at 855-242-3310. It is toll-free, open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and you can also go on to hopeforwellness.ca where they have a text option. If more related to missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit, you can call 844-413-6649. Locally, you can also call Awutan Healing Lodge. Um, there is a national 24-7 crisis line for uh, non-Indigenous or anyone who requires emotional uh, assistance as well. Um, most non-Indigenous um, communities have distress center lines functioning in your area or a functioning 211, or you can call 833-456-4566. Uh, 60 Scoop Indigenous Society of Alberta is at ssisa.ca. And uh, if you are an LGBTQ2 plus community uh, member, I understand these straight cis numbers have no concepts. So thank you to the Trevor Project. Uh, you can go to lifevoice.ca for crisis supports. And the Trans Lifeline is 877-330-6366. And for youth, 866-844-7386. 
Um, it just came out. We have uh, over 200 uh, homeless people that passed away over the course of the one year in Calgary alone. Uh, we're going to have the longest night of the year, as we do every single year. Um, as well, there is, if you are using substances, please do not use alone. If you are using alone, you have some options. You can go to the National Overdose Response Service at 888-688-NORS. And there are two apps you can download. You can download the Brave or the Doors app, and that will help with the over 200 drug poisonings we've had uh, in one month alone, let alone over the course of the year. Violence is my everyday reality, every Indigenous. That's why I started the podcast, to speak freely without interruption, tone police, propaganda, leadership shaming, gaslighting questions. As many people don't want to hear Indigenous opinions, but sure want to tell us there. Even if they don't know anything about colonialism and constant surveillance of our people, our protests, our vigils, and our rights, I and many others share info on microaggressions daily, so it's unacceptable to say them anymore. Learn about being trauma-informed. Folks like me are dealing with internalized racism, gatekeeping, and folks who survive off the status quo and people who are still in their trauma, which is why it's so important to learn about lateral violence and internalized racism. Um, internal and external racism is an everyday reality for me, Indigenous people, folks with disabilities, QT, BIPOC, and others. Masi Cho to my ancestors, to my granny, my mom, oh, what strength looks like through your example. I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt. My stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through her Austrian family and roots and stepping up to teach me to be a proud Calgarian. It's through her I'm a second generation. I want to thank my numerous aunties and uncles for guiding me and being there for me over the course of my entire life, including my auntie who got me my status. I want to say thank you to my husband, uh, Darcy, big Buffalo rock man for, you know, being my husband, childhood friend, father of our child and support down my journey of the red road. He has witnessed decades of racism and sexism. And to my child, thunder pipe necklace woman, I am blessed to learn from you daily and we are honored you chose us. You give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person. My hope is my daughter and my family will be proud in the future of us trying to address these present day issues. My patron account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Thank you, previous donors, for showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you. To those who cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com. Send in your comments or your questions. I also have a YouTube channel that you can go and subscribe. You can go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcast and pin posts on social media. And I want to end by giving side eye to those Calgary rabbits. You're lucky I'm not traditional. My beautiful cousin once responded, or yet be in my dish. So thank you so much for listening, folks.